everybody, welcome to episode 8, season finale, season 1 of The Sequelizers. This is the podcast all about fixing bad sequels to good movies, so if there is a good movie that had a terrible sequel that followed it, we're going to try and fix it. I'm your host, Jack Chambers, and joining me are the two teams of titular sequelizers. In team one, we have Mr. Alec Plowman. Yes, we do. And Stuart Ashen. Yes, we do. <laughs> and team two, Mr. Tom Martin. Hello there. And Mr. Matthews Doctor. Oh, that was good. Oh, thank you. Uh, also, hello. So, as I mentioned at the end of the last episode, this is one of the ones I think we talked about the most when we kind of came up with the concept of this season and mm. the show in the first place. We're talking Alien Cubed, mm. a.k.a. Alien 3, a.k.a. Where the Rock Set In. Yeah, if you were listening to the last episode, franchise. which you should have been, uh, we did discuss the fact that this is a really controversial, well, let's say really controversial, it's quite controversial because some people actually love Alien 3. Some people can tolerate it, some people can say it was the natural progression of the series. But most people were just very disappointed. And I kind of want to point something out. There is a very well-founded theory, a very well-maintained theory that, and we even in fact kind of referenced it in the first episode of this series where we said Jaws Jaws is because of Alien, Aliens Alien, Alien, whenever someone thinks about a sequel, Aliens is almost always in that sort of, yeah. that yeah. sentence and yet, Aliens isn't the quintessential way to do a sequel, because the only way you could Aliens Aliens is to make it really bombastic, and really big and really over the top, and not something you kind of can't do that, but the departure from Alien to Aliens is such a huge one. Yeah, it's such a huge Absolutely. one that it's very difficult to replicate that. The thing that people also forget is that Aliens doesn't just go bigger because that's what everybody says. Everybody says Aliens goes bigger. Aliens changes genre. Yeah, it Aliens does. becomes a it war does. movie rather do. than a yeah. horror movie and therefore like, is able to do different things. Yeah, guns aren't fired for the first like, 40 minutes, an hour or something. Mm. It's crazy. Until like Newt turns up. Like Nothing happens. Really. Yeah, I mean, I, I do love aliens, but <laughs> that crazy, crazy tank girl kid. And the thing with, I mean, for me, the thing with Alien Three is the fact that, I mean, absolutely, as you probably will know, I'm a huge David Fincher fan. So really? Actually, yeah, I know. No one really knows that huh. about me. It's a thing that I keep quite hidden. And so, it's re- I find it really interesting, given um, the amount of reading that I've done about his career and and the, the production of this, and obviously, it's well known, kind of fact that it was a really torturous production for him he it was his first um, big studio blockbuster or a big studio direction gig after he come off his doing all his music videos and stuff like that and basically for to to abbreviate it the studio totally dicked him around he, he it's kind of like common knowledge concrete he does he won't talk about it he has talked about it a little bit of interview since but he he's obviously not very happy with it he didn't get a final cut which is famously why he now insists on Final Cut and is why uh, I think what was one of the, the films recently he, ter- he turned down something quite large recently simply because he couldn't get Final Cut um, that's like his, his big thing that he has to do um, but I find it obviously very interesting watching it I recently uh, watched um, I haven't finished but started watching one of his films in chronological order again and there's, there's a lot of the, the kind of the almost the, the early you can, you can see you know what makes him a great uh, director you know, by the time he gets to Seven which is his next film you know, there's there's those elements there, and I, I really enjoy it because of that. But it's it's just so it, 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 knowing the backstory, it's so it was chopped around so much in the. It's crushing. It, could think of what could have been. Yeah, it's, I mean, the thing is that yeah, I mean, you talk about Fincher. There, it was a massively troubled production way before he even came on board. The fact that he's how the, many rewrites? He's the third director. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Rennie Harlan is the first director, and yeah. then who takes over? I forgot who. God, it's, yeah. And he's he gets taken off because. He can't. He, he literally can't cope with it. And yeah, and then, then Fincher's. Oh god, I've forgotten who it is. Um, 
the uh, the the second director, but he's the guy who wanted to do the wooden prison. Yes. Oh, wooden prison. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. yeah. And there are so many different versions, so many different drafts. Um, Which happily a... ours are not. Yeah. Both, both of us are different, yeah. different. Yeah. And Fincher, even the the new, because we alluded last episode to the fact there's two cuts. And my understanding is, despite what they have marked it as, Finch, Fincher has not had involvement in that second director's quote unquote cut. Um, yeah, he has to have his name, name removed. removed. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, I get the impression that, I mean, I mean they, they've called it the working print. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, think, yeah. I, I think that's what it was, because I think a lot of stuff was then hacked by producers. Because this yes. is the amazing thing, is that working print holds together surprisingly well, mm. considering the big problem with Aliens, <clears throat> Alien 3, as we've said, is that it was in development hell for basically since Aliens came out. Pretty so much. You think that there's a there's like a, a six-year time span there. Mm. Um and they got to the point where they so wanted to make the movie that they just start started building sets, yeah. even though well, the yeah, script wasn't over, done. Yeah, yeah. So they started shooting before they had a final script, which is was it the interviews with Paul McGann where he said he had this thing about this whole sub um, plot about him and the alien working together and being mm. like a watchman. It's just not present. Yeah, it, it is in the working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. But um, um, no, exactly. It's, it's some of those things that just. Again, half thoughts and poorly executed stuff, and just being run over as a not even a new director, a new feature director. And you say, oh, I never understand that from a studio point of view. It's like you hired this person to do a job, but they they hired him to just basically fill in. And I think that's one of the things he says when he he's done a couple of talks where, he, um, where he's turned around to people and um, <clears throat> and basically said to someone in the audience, "Okay, stand up and pitch me your film." And they've literally done two lines and gone, "Sit the fuck down." And they've sat down, and he said, "No." You have to like that. You're not going to get anywhere if you don't if you stand up and if you don't stand up for yourself. And he was, he, you know, credits the experience in Alien Three with teaching him that. Um, and yeah, it just I think there's just so many like offshoots of ideas, both in the the pre-production. Am, am I right in saying that they released a poster at some point where there was an illusion that it would return to Earth? The trailer, well, yes, the trailer. Yeah, this yeah. time, this time it's on Earth. Yeah. This time the war is on Earth was the original tagline. Yeah. Uh, in the 1991, um, there's all kinds of weird stuff that happens though. So the whole scene with um, spoilers, Ripley dies. Um, but the whole scene, Ripley, um, the ending changes between the two cuts. Yeah. Um, Ripley has the alien queen chestburster in her, mm-hmm. and she jumps into the molten pit at the end of the film. In the theatrical version, the chestburster bursts out of her mm. as she is jumping, and yep. she holds it, holds it in, into yeah. the fire. Uh, in the original ending, it was meant to be that she just jumped into the fire, and it was ambiguous as to whether it was a suicide or whether it was the... Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. The reason they changed that, according to the documentary on the uh, Blu-ray, is the most stupid producery reason that you've ever heard which is Terminator 2, which had come out the year before, had an ending where somebody yeah. fell into a molten pit yeah. and they wanted to make it different. And so that's <laughs> why the chestburster gets added in. Wow. Well, the chestburster does a little thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. and we all cr- now I know why you... Yeah. Yeah. Of course, they didn't get to Earth until the end of Alien Resurrection. And yeah. then we never knew what happened. Well, uh, that's the thing. In the director's cut of Alien Resurrection, or the, or the cut that's on the, the quadrilogy and the Blu-ray stuff, they show them actually getting off the ship and saying, ah... It's like oh, that was pointless. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think I'm sick of the previous. Yeah, it's not like a yeah. scorched Mad Max style. It is. It's, it's completely yeah, it desolate. Is. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's 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 an interesting extra nod that makes nothing. Remember, yeah. I mean, I do like the idea, but that's this big it's talk in the Mad Max universe confirmed. Oh yeah, yeah confirmed. Yeah. They just didn't land in Australia. Mad Max and Wally. Yeah. 
I want to go out on a limb and say I don't actually mind Alien Resurrection. I don't either. I'm, I'm, okay, this is this is gonna fucking divide, and by divide I mean between me and everyone else. Alien is my favourite. Love Alien. Aliens is a great action film, really, and a war film. I love it. Yeah. Alien Three is a competent film. I rather enjoy it. It's it's really troubled, but as a story, it holds up. Alien Resurrection came out when I was like sixteen, and I really loved it at that time. Huh? But now I'm like, oh no, okay, it's not great, but I still enjoy it for what it is. It's quite interesting. There's some odd bits, and it's very actiony, and I get it, pulpy, mainstream. Here we go. Ready? I don't mind Prometheus. Uh, I hate both <laughs> Resurrection and Prometheus. I don't mind Prometheus because I think there are some interesting bits, but we'll go back yeah, on the right That's now. a different discussion. I, yeah. I would just say I really like Resurrection. Prometheus is in my least favourite films of all time. No, so again, I didn't make it so I don't give a shit. But It's a shame the, that from Resurrection onwards that they are alien films because given the provenance, you this kind is... of expect a lot more from them. Don't yeah. you? I mean, Prometheus is beautifully shot and there's some nice stuff in it, but the sheer stupidity of the characters. Is yeah, oh, which is then continued into Alien Covenant. Yes. Yes. To an extent, yeah. absolutely yeah. true. Yeah, and... Yeah. Then, of course, there's the Alien vs. Predator films, of which I've yeah. never watched. Oh, God. I've seen both. The first one's actually... It's a great concept, poorly executed. Yes, I agree with that. Funny story it's is that it was supposed to be a Jim Cameron film. Really? Jim Cameron supposedly was signed up to, was <coughs> on board to do it, or was approached the studio to do it, <coughs> and Paul W.S. Anderson, is that him? That's yeah, him. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, came in with a lower offer, so they went with him. Like, which I honestly thought you were going to say... It was originally going to be a Jim Carrey film. Yeah. <laughs> I the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. And then I, my mind went to Jim Henson for some reason. <laughs> yes! <laughs> wow. That, that, I would watch it. Yeah, Jim Henson. Jim Dark Crystal goes dark as it is, so I imagine he'd be doing a great oh, film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why did we think of Jim fucking Henson making all puppets? Oh, shit. Fucking mess. Spoilers. Spoilers. Quickly, 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 quickly. Yeah. Anyway, oh, but we can all agree with those who've seen it. Alien vs. Predator 2, Requiem is talk shit. <laughs> Terrific. Terrific. Best yeah. of the franchise, clearly. Well. No. Alien 3's not, not that bad. There'll be, there'll be people yeah. listening to this thinking there's not much wrong with it. And it's like, yeah, yeah well, we... Well, I don't know what you guys have done. We'll, we'll see. We'll well, see. So, if somebody is listening and wants to watch Alien 3 for the first time, which cup do they go for? <sighs> working print, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think working print, yeah, so it's actually the, holds together. The theatrical one... They took out, they cleave so much stuff from it that it doesn't make narrative sense. There are uh, subplots yeah. that disappear mm-hmm. having, and yes, then reappear, and mm-hmm. character motivations are clear. I, I, and things I would like agree. That. Having on my David Fincher journey gone, oh, I'm going to watch the, no, the theatrical called cut. Tom's Life. Called Tom's Life. Decided, oh no, I'll watch the theatrical cut because I always watch the work print. It was, it, it, it was kind of like, Jesus Christ! Like, what the fuck is this? It's it like just, it's, um, it's all Blade Runner. I don't yeah. watch the article, though. I don't. I, no, 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 five, five cut, fucking final, cuts to that final film. Cut. Final, final cut. Final, final cut, cut, cut is and that's it. Well, yeah. yeah. Full stop. And maybe yeah. the canon one for 2049? Who knows? Um, probably. Probably, probably yeah. 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 You'd assume so. Hopefully, we won't have to sequelize that. No, I really hope we don't oh, sequelize that. I will be dev. I will be devastated if we have to. Because I'll be honest with you, I, our sequ- I, th- I can guarantee what Tom and I would pitch as a sequelizer um, for Blade twenty forty nine is kind of so yeah, far what we've just seen. What, Blade twenty forty nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. clearly with the chance of Deeks, Deeks. I mean, that would be and uh, Johan Johansson on the music, and it does Blade's look really bold absolutely stuff. Fun. Like visually, it looks be like bananas. But we will see. That'll be a series two. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, but um. Yeah, I think on the subject of um, Alien 3, I think the big, uh, well, one of the major falling downs it has for a lot of people 
is that it is a huge tonal shift. And I think it's really yeah. interesting because often our complaints of these things is that they are all the same. All the same. Yeah. Alien 3 definitely isn't. Alien 3 is its own entity. And yet, we, I don't know why we're surprised at that because, again, Aliens and Alien is a huge tunnel shift. Yeah. yeah. But it's a tunnel shift that works. Yeah. It's a tunnel shift yeah. that works. It's because yeah. people are like, yep, I'm on board with that. It's like, we're going to go to this really interesting sort of close quarter thing. Because I was like, nope. And just as an oh, across the board, nope. And the thing we haven't mentioned, of course, is the fact that the, the issue with it is, it is that they. they Kill off two of the best characters of aliens in a pre-credit sequence, and that's Ooh, and that's, God, the, but that's, the, that. that's yeah. the big that that for me is the big issue is that yeah. you get rid of new, you get rid of Hicks, you destroy all of the pathos and all of the you lose the audience at that point because if you're a big fan and especially if you've done something like you know if you watch Aliens and you're like you know you're so invested in that where's this going to go especially now? The director's, go? especially the director's cut where it is a three you know James Cameron described it as like a three hour. To ride to hell or something yeah. and you've gone on that ride and they have survived and then to literally have them so unceremoniously <laughs> off in what is essentially like a like a kind of afterthought, a, heart yes. afterthought is, is that's what it does but, wrong I mean at the same time I can sort of see why they did oh, it yeah. because they didn't want to be beholden to it Michael Bean was super unhappy about mm. it though because oh, yeah. he had been told because Jim Cameron had initially planned to do a third one so both him and Carrie Henn had been told <laughs> that they were going to be in it. And then he wasn't in it. And then he found out, because he had a friend who was on the set, that uh, they had made casts of his mm. body yeah. and were having like his dummy in it. And that's why you never see Hicks's body in it, is no. because he vetoed that. He yep. said, you're not using my likeness. And he ended up... They use his likeness on the, on the screen. You see his picture... Yep. That's the only time you see him. Mm. And he said he was paid about the same amount for the use of that picture as he was for Starry and Aliens. Yeah. Um, because yeah. he was so unhappy. Rightly about it. so. Yeah. And things like the whole um, Sigourney Weaver and the bald cap business, uh, where she had that sort of bet where she kept saying, I'm not shaving my head again. I'm not shaving my head again. I'm not shaving. If you were doing more reshoots, I'm not shaving my head again. And he said, You can either pay me an exorbitant amount of money. 40000 yeah. She had it written into her contract. That's right. If there were reshoots and she had to shave her head again, they had to pay an extra forty grand. Yeah. So they ended up realizing that a bald cap sort of thing was cheaper. Cheap than 40 grand, yeah. 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 Sixteen grand for the bald cap that they built because they had to put the stubble. That's in right, stubble in. Because yeah. by the time she, it is very impressive though, because again, it's very hard to tell the scenes where it's a bald cap. It's a great effect. It yeah. really works, but it's just an example of how much that film spiraled yeah. and how crazy the mm, reshoots were. Yeah. It hemorrhaged money for. Yeah. Um, Fox because it was just in development hell for so long. There was this real tension that I think there always is in the Alien films between it being a sort of an art movie and a blockbuster movie. Oh, completely. And all of the directors they had on board came in with such a strong vision and especially by the third film, the studio had an equally strong vision as what they were to do. Toys! Um, (laughs) Which is so weird (laughs) considering... Because I remember my first experience of Alien, the the whole franchise was having a bull alien. With I'm pretty sure you press the button and his head sort of yeah, so yeah. yeah, and that's what I remember. I don't know why I had that at the age of twelve or thirteen or wherever the hell it was, because it's not appropriate for kids to be playing with. I could, uh, I, I don't as Ashens will tell you, in my mm-hmm. academic career, I wrote a uh, a paper on this. Stuart, on, is this true? This is true. He has told me aliens. Uh, <laughs> Action figures. Shit, nice. So I would, I would argue that it was as I did in my. In mm, my but that's but another story. That is a story for, for another, another time and yeah. another podcast. But we may come back on to color action figures in a bit. Oh, oh, oh shit! shit. So, yeah, basically, <coughs> full of Star Wars characters. 
Oh, shit! <laughs> Michael Keaton, Batman. We should probably prepare people Batman for this. Probably has a lot of preamble of uh, really interesting insight and we should, things. Yeah. We've got so much fucking yeah, stuff to talk about. Yeah, we should So let's get cracking then. Start off with team names. Team 1, Plowman and Ashen. Chicken shit outfit. Oh, Yay. That's good. If you're space No, that's no, awesome. no, we, we, we vetoed that. Ours is uh, Giga's Nightmare. Colon. Street Sharks. We're going to bring that to Giga's Nightmare. Giga's Nightmare is to have Street Sharks in his colon. It does make sense. Yep. Isn't that everyone's nightmare? You're awakening and a shark comes out of your colon. They have to keep moving or they will die. <laughs> moving through your car. Speed. <laughs> speed. Speed sharks. Speed sharks. Speed. I, uh, I created this piece based on the very happy experience of my childhood. Just <laughs> from my it's Angel King of the Pizza Delivery. <laughs> well, that is a sketch. It's full of sauces. Write that down, one of you filmmaking <laughs> people. Uh, this fucking Ouija board, I guess. I don't think it makes much difference for him to do that. So, chicken shit outfit. Yeah. Can we get yeah. some themes, elevator pitch, kind of quick summary of your I pitch? I guess I will give you. Do you want the title first? And title as well, of course. And the year. Okay. The title of our film is Aliens. Fury. Okay. Interesting. And interesting. Released in the year 2000. Oh. Themes include bioscience gone wrong, corporate evil. Again, corporations. Corporations. No, fuck the corporation. To be fair, you're going to get another franchise where you kind of have to work yeah. with the corporation. Our elevator pitch. Newton Ripley are on an express elevator to hell as the evil Wayland Utani attempt to weaponize xenomorphs for their own nefarious means. I honestly thought you said Newton Ridley for a second. <laughs> <laughs> they like... they're, they're literally in an elevator for two hours where she questions his prequel choices. Isaac Newton and Ridley Scott are in an elevator. <laughs> <laughs> Newton Ridley does sound more like some kind of brewery or something. <laughs> So over to Giga's Nightmare, colon, Street Sharks. Correct. Won't use hesitation. So, we are calling our film Alien 3.0. Oh, what? Oh, Bruce Willis? Yeah. Yeah. Sadly not. Well, it, is, Bruce Willis it is being released in 1993, seven years after Aliens. And our elevator pitch is, a group of colonists arrive on a distant planet and are greeted by an android contingent who seemingly malfunction and turn on their masters. As the colonists fight to survive, they learn that there is more to this pop-up facility than meets the eye. It's Transformer. So we go. Interesting. Mm. So we have Aliens Fury versus Alien 3.0 for the season. For the season. It's all to play for. It is all to play for. Yep. Because I kind of... If we liked football, this would be like the end of the football. (laughs) This would be the this thing decides, that the local sports This team. decides the football. No this more football. football. It's been decided. Yes. Can this will be the end of the football <laughs> be the tagline for this? <laughs> I mean, that's what I was going for. I guess we'll start off with chicken shit outfit. All right. Okay. Well, well, before we begin, cast and directors and things like that. I, I must mention before we begin that Alec is quite a fan of the alien stroke mm. alien stuff. And... 
he literally wrote this one entirely on his own. <laughs> it was like a bit the like, Batman thing again. Yes, it's, it's the Batman it's, thing again. It's more so than oh, the Batman wow. one, in Jeez. fact. If you've ever seen a dog that's getting really into a bone and you go to the end and he goes... <laughs> And then and it has a little mouth that comes out. Yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> and then it hums. It's, 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 it's the dog <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, Alex's it's face is one of such pride. <laughs> like, yes. yes. So I didn't even get to do any editing. I literally wow. only read this for the first time about ten minutes ago. <laughs> there was lots of whispering. Yeah. Good, though, I was like, right? So it, basically, I'm going to sit with a street shot now. <laughs> so, Ooh. Alec... By yeah. yourself, apparently. <laughs> we will read it together. Oh. Yeah. For our love conquers all yeah. boundaries. <laughs> if you could alternate words, that would be great. Yeah. We're going like, to do it in the That would be greatly <laughs> nauseating. I don't want to be hearing that. Returning in the role of Ellen Ripley is, of course, Sigmund Weaver. Carrie Henn returns in the role of Newt. Winona Ryder joins the cast as Cool. Oh, wow. Okay. Going proper. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if the microphone can pick up smoke, but... <laughs> a lot of splicing going on there. Interesting. Uh, Paul McGann, which I've apparently... Wow! Apparently spelled Paul with two L's. Uh, Paul, 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 Paul McGann. Paul McGann. Paul McGann. I apologise for my wow outrages. It's not me being furious. It's, it's meaning that's very interesting. Sorry to care. Um, joins the cast as a character called Alvarez, uh, with Charles Dance playing the character of Hilla. There was a wow there too, but I didn't want to shout out. Director. James Cameron. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's all about okay. JC. Okay. Um, <laughs> when you're with Ridley Scott, it is all about JC. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, director of photography, because I'm looking at you, Tom, mm-hmm. uh, oh, is Janus Kaminsky. Oh, yeah. 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 I thought you were about to use um, Deacons against no, Tom then. Oh, that's a fucking low point. Um, uh, and I'm basing this somewhat weirdly on his work in The Lost World, not oh, a film that he is perhaps the most yeah, celebrated for. Of yeah. this. Yes, <laughs> but I think it's like based it weirdly on a dream I had. Aesthetically, I think that film has shitload of problems, but aesthetically, I think it's great. So yeah, that's why I'm with that. Okay. I, I like it visually. Uh, music by James Horner, of course, with character themes by Peter Frampton. Fucking Frampton. Frampton. Frampton comes aboard. Visual effects by uh, Stan Winston, Alec Gillis, and Tom Woodruff Jr. Mm-hmm. Because they are the guys that did Aliens. Um, I think Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff Jr. did Aliens. They certainly did three and four, but they're fucking great, so I'm bringing them in. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's kick it off. Fiorina Fury 161, a maximum security orbital prison planet with 2,000 inhabitants owned and run by the Wayland Utania Corporation. Alcatraz in space is a brutalist bastard locale, grim, dilapidated, home to the worst of the worst. We open on a riot in progress, prisoners locked in a brutal struggle with guards as they attempt to overthrow order. The prisoners look set to win, armed with pulse rifles and other ordnance taken from security staff. Unnoticed by the combatants, several Wayland Jutani dropships descend on Fury 161's landing platforms. Their hydraulic cargo doors open simultaneously. A sound of inhuman screeching and roaring fills the air, so loud that it calls the attention of both prisoners and guards away from the ensuing conflict. There is a pause, a moment of silence, a calm before the storm. Then, swarms of xenomorphs charge from the dropships straight into the heart of the prison riot. Some of the prisoners and guards panic, turning around and starting to run. Other armed combatants stand their ground and attempt to give fight. 
Both tactics prove futile, however, as the xenomorphs unrelentingly tear through the men and women, crushing them, melting their flesh, ripping them limb from limb. These xenos are unlike any we have seen before, more animal than humanoid. There are lightning-fast dog aliens moving on all fours, hulking aggressive bull aliens with razor-sharp horns, flying hawk aliens that swoop down on unsuspecting prey. The riot soon becomes a massacre. All of Fury 161's 2,000 occupants are apparently eviscerated in the onslaught. With nothing left to kill, Zeno's momentarily pause as if unsure what to do next. Suddenly, a high-pitched whine emits from the dropships and the creatures yelp before falling to their knees in a position of submission. With Zeno seemingly subjugated, several Wayland Utani officials, flanked by a garrison of Wayland Utani commandos, disembark from the lead dropship. Director Hiller, the man apparently in charge of the operation, turns to his subordinates. As far as test runs go, I'd call that a success. AR-713, an industrial colony. There's good money to be made if you're willing to break your back for it. In one of the colony's myriad docking bays, power loaders move girders into cargo ships for off-world transportation. One of the load operators is a woman in her mid-twenties. Bald-headed, her musculature betrays the unrelenting physicality of her work. She finishes for the day, punches out, and heads to a local dive bar. Sitting down at what appears to be her regular perch, she orders a beer. On a world like AR-713, there are two things to do when you're not working. Drink and fight. It would seem that two of the bar's regular customers, one a grizzled brick shithouse of a man, the other heavy-set and bearded, have a second option in mind. Hey, shrimp, you're in my seat, shithouse taunts. She turns to face them and, seeing she's a woman, the men begin to catcall. Her face does not break from a hardened scowl. She looks around the bar, sizing up the situation, and then proceeds to beat seven shades of shit out of her would-be assailants. Turning to Shithouse, now sprawled over the bar lying in a pool of his own blood and teeth, his face a broken mess, she responds, It's not shrimp, it's Newt. Newt turns to watch the television. There's a news report on detailing the prison riot. Body bags are laid out across the prison's central yard area. It claims that Wayland yutani security forces have now contained the situation. Something in the background catches Newt's eye. She asks for the barman to freeze frame the broadcast. A steel plate in the background of the image is a hole corroded in it, a green residue visible around its edges. It's a sight that Newt is horrifyingly familiar with. She turns from the bar, absent-mindedly throwing a handful of credits in the direction of the barman, and runs home. Back in her Spartan, barely-furnished apartment, Newt gets on the vidphone. Alvarez, a man in his thirties with a straggly beard and long hair, answers. Newt asks him if he saw the broadcast, if he saw the acid marks. Alvarez says he did, and tells Newt that he's bringing the crew over to her place with a clap. <coughs> that he's bringing the crew over to her place with a plan of action. He also tells her that he has something for her, something that they managed to slip out from under the noses of those Wayland motherfuckers. Alvarez arrives, flanked by his crew, Dylan and Golic. Like Alvarez, the wiry, straggling-looking men in their thirties. There is also a figure that Newt doesn't recognise. Cool, a short-haired young woman with a disciplined military look. We learn through their conversation that Alvarez's crew are activists that Newt has fallen in with. They've been keeping tabs on Wayland Jutani, particularly their ethically questionable bioweapons division. Based on Newt's testimony of the LV-426 incident, they believe that Wayland are using alien lifeforms to create illegal ordinance banned under interplanetary law. Alvarez reveals his present for Newt, stolen by Golic from a Wayland storage facility. Inside what looks like a body bag, the remains of Bishop. 
In spite of his extensive damage, he is still operational. Stunned, Newt excuses herself from the living room, taking Bishop with her into her quarters and booting him up. The resuscitated Bishop talks with Newt and the pair exchange information that fills in their backstory. Newt states that after the events on LV-426, the Sulaco returned to the marine depot from which it was launched. Ripley, Newt was told, died in stasis upon re-entry. Hicks was reassigned to a new unit never to be seen again, while Newt was placed in a company orphanage. She reveals that the company gave her therapy, in reality an attempt to suppress her memories of the incident to save face for the company. She says that she forgot what happened for many years, until the nightmares returned and it all came flooding back. Bishop says that Newt's account does not tally with his own. He has no record of Ripley dying in his files. He also asks Newt to shut him down. Disconnect me. I could be reworked, but I'll never be top of the line again. She obliges. Returning to the living room, Newt finds that the crew have finalised their plan. Using schematics and access codes that Golic has taken from Wayland, they intend to sneak into the prison facility on Fury 161 to document evidence of the xenomorphs, to publish that evidence, to make Wayland's misdoings known to the public and bring the corporation down. Through Golic's intel, they have reasoned that the suppression of the prison riot was a clearing exercise to make the facility available for bioweapons operations. Cool, it is revealed, is an android, brought in to access the Wayland mainframe and to steal documents. Newt warns the crew that the Xenomorphs are extremely dangerous and that all of their lives are at risk by going to Fury 161. Alvarez counters that they will be armed with stolen Wayland tech and that the Xenos will almost certainly be contained, but Newt notes it won't make any difference. The next day, they disembark in a stolen Wayland freighter to Fury 161. Meanwhile, on Fury 161, Hiller oversees the construction of the bioweapons facilities. In a meeting with the bioweapons scientists, concerns are raised that some of the xenomorphs are beginning to show signs of resistance to the sonic technology that they are using to control them. Hiller dismisses these concerns, saying that these xenomorphs are animals, not humans, and that they can be trained and domesticated. He says that the resistant creatures are outliers and that they will be broken soon enough. The scientists express doubts, however, and Hiller betrays a twitch of anger. He suggests that, unless they want to work more closely with the Xenos to find out the reasons for their disobedience, they should trust his judgement. Elvarez's crew lands on Fury 161, disguised as Wayland yutani staff. Using Golic schematics, they make their way to the containment facilities for the Xenos. Newt is surprised at what they discover. Hundreds of Xenos have been herded into cramped cells like something out of a factory farm. Their animal-like nature also makes them unlike anything she saw on LV-426. She tells the crew that these aren't the same xenomorphs. They share a genus, but this is something different. She also questions where the queen is. Golic schematics indicate a biolab, and the crew move on there to find some answers. In the biolab, the crew find test tubes, not unlike those in Aliens. They contain face huggers, chest bursters, as well as a number of xenomorphs that share characteristics with various animals. There is also a stasis pod in the corner of the room, familiar and designed to mute. The glass is steamed over, obscuring the occupant. Newt asks Call to tap into the mainframe and bring up the details of the pod. She does so. You might want to sit down, Newt, she states. Occupant name, Ripley, Ellen Louise. Stunned, Newt demands her to open the capsule. Awakening from cryosleep, Newt brings Ripley up to date on events. She does not remember much past the events of LV-426 and suspects that she has been in stasis since then. However, she speaks of nightmares of surgery, of aliens, of the traumatic birth of her daughter, Amanda. 
Alvarez breaks up the reunion. The crew has the evidence they need and must escape the facility as soon as possible, as calls hacking into the mainframe will have likely brought them unwanted attention. As if on cue, however, a squad of Utani commandos flood into the room, guns drawn. Hiller follows them. It is revealed that Golic, the man who gave them the intel, is a Wayland mole. Suspecting that Newt may have remembered the incidents on LV-426, the company has been monitoring her. They let them into the facility, intending to catch them in the act and suppress them. Alvarez is livid at Golic's deception, but Golic showing his true colours is flippant. Fighting the power is right on, man, but it doesn't pay the bills. Speaking of which, Hiller, when do I get my money? Don't worry, Golic. You'll get what's coming to you, Hiller responds, gesturing at two commandos. The surprised Golic is picked up and marched out of the room. You came here to find out what we were doing, Hiller tells the others. Allow me to demonstrate. An observation window opens, revealing Golic, hands and legs cuffed on his knees, in an isolation chamber. At first, Hiller continues, we tried to breed the Xenos using human hosts. But humans are such impetuous creatures, not very good at following orders. Domesticated animals, on the other hand, dogs, cows, birds, they understand their place in the grand scheme of things. He presses a button, and a hatch opens in the isolation chamber. A dog xenomorph bounds into the room, charging for a now hysterical golic. Hiller presses another button. A high-pitched whine emanates and the dog xeno freezes. It then sits, not unlike a trained puppy would. The future of warfare, ladies and gentlemen, he concludes. As he turns to walk away from the console, he lets go of the control button. The xeno launches forward and rips Golic's head from his shoulders, his screams growing inhumanly higher before his vocal cords snap, at which point he is silenced. His head is removed with such force that most of his spinal column follows it. The viewing screen closes. Hiller instructs the commandos to take Alvarez's crew out to the yard and shoot them. Ripley, meanwhile, is to be returned to stasis. Before they can comply, however, an alert sounds. We cut to the Xeno cells where one of the bull aliens is being pinned down by another while a third charges into it, goring it with its horns. Acid blood spews from the downed creature's guts, spraying onto the doors and floor and melting through them. Other Xenos follow suit, sacrificing their own kind in exchange for their freedom. The containment facility is overrun as hundreds of xenomorphs swarm out of it and through the prison. Back in the observation chamber, Hiller is barking orders over the intercom, sending squads left and right in an attempt to control the situation. With him distracted, Alvarez's crew takes the opportunity to wrestle weapons away from the Wayland commandos and escape. An enraged Hiller and his battalion give chase down a corridor, quickly flanked by more troops. One commando sprays a hail of gunfire down the corridor after them. Hiller responds by shooting him in the face. I don't want Ripley harmed, he tells the others. They give chase, but Hiller's men are cut off at an intersection as a herd of bull aliens charge down the corridor, goring a number of the commandos while ripping others in two. Hiller is seen to escape. Alvarez's team veers away from the commandos and soon find themselves being pursued by a pack of dog aliens. Lightning fast, they zip across the floors and ceilings. One drops down from a vent, putting Dylan to his death. The remaining Alvarez, Newt, Ripley and Call bundle into a room, pulling the blast door closed behind them. They think they're safe for a moment, but another dog, Zeno, crawls through a grill and into the room. The creature corners Ripley and it looks like she is done for, but it hesitates, seemingly smelling her, before turning on the others. He gores Call with his tail, piercing a hole in her stomach from which white liquid spurts. Newt lets off a blast of the pulse rifle aimed at the Zeno's head and it falls to the ground. 
Newt Patch's call-up, but an increasingly paranoid Alvarez surprises the group by pinning Ripley to the wall. He notes that there's something not right about the situation. How come Hiller wanted them dead, but her in stasis? How come the Zeno had the chance to kill her, but didn't? Calls pupils white out as she accesses the Wayland data files stored in her system. It's because I'm carrying one of them, isn't it? Says Ripley. Not just any one of them, Paul responds. The Queen. The DNA from the Queen Burster inside Ripley is what Wayland has been using to breed these new xenomorphs. Alvarez pulls a gun and puts it to Ripley's temple. He's about to kill her, but Newt reasons that they can put Ripley in stasis. Alvarez knows people, she states, that can remove it. And besides, she's the prime evidence of Wayland's misdoings. Call agrees, and Alvarez reluctantly concedes, though he says he will end Ripley at the first sign of a chestburster. The crew need to get off Fury. <coughs> the crew need to get off Fury 161 ASAP and begin charting a route to the landing pad. They're only a few miles away, but the place is swarming with aliens. Accessing the mainframe, Call states that the upper levels of the facility. Accessing the mainframe, Call states that the upper levels of the facility have yet to be compromised, and that heading there might give them the clearest run to the landing pad. However, it means crossing an unstable gantry for the last quarter mile. Given the circumstances, the crew decides it's the best option, stocking up on ordnance and making for the upper levels. Meanwhile, Hiller surveys the situation with his lackeys from a secure room in the facility. Grimly, they conclude that they have lost control of the xenomorphs and have lost too many men to bring them back in line. Hiller does not care about the state of the facility, seeing its loss as a minor setback. But, he reasons, losing Ripley and the Queen Burster could be enough to bring the whole operation down. He reasons that they will make their way for the upper levels and states that he and the commandos will give chase. Meanwhile, the self-destruct sequence is initiated. In two hours, Fury 161 will be destroyed, with all Wayland staff trapped in the facility considered expendable. Alvarez's crew makes their way through the upper levels. While they're not crawling with Xenos like the lower sections of the compound, they're nowhere near deserted, and the crew still has to fight their way through a number of close encounters. They make it to the gantry and observe below a brutal fight between the dog aliens and the bull aliens in the courtyard. Without a queen, the Xenomorphs have no order and have taken to battling each other in an apparent bid for superiority. They cross the gantry, but, as they get halfway along the bridge, Hiller's men appear at the other side. They give chase, with two dropships rising up to either side of the bridge. It looks like Alvarez's crew is done for. About to give up, there is a sudden ungodly shriek. The crew looks up to see a flock of hawk aliens descending. Pandemonium ensues. The dropships are overwhelmed and crash into the sides of buildings. Commandos are thrown from the bridge into the melee in the courtyard below. Seeing their chance, Elvarez's crew run, though Hiller himself is in hot pursuit. They make it to almost the end of the gantry, but several of the Hawk aliens land, separating Cole, Ripley and Newt from Elvarez. Elvarez is surrounded by the xenomorphs. Over the loudspeakers in the courtyard, he hears T-minus 15 minutes to self-destruct. The option to override has expired. He tells the others to run and pulls an explosive pack from his bag. He blows the bridge, sending xenomorphs flying. Call Ripley and Newt make it to their ship. We cut back to see Hiller's body, which has been flung onto the platform on Call Ripley and Newt's side of the gantry. For a moment, he looks dead, but we see his eyes open. On board the ship, Call jumps in the pilot's chair while Newt prepares the stasis pod for Ripley. They blast off, watching the facility explode behind them. Ripley is about to be put into stasis by Newt and Call emerges, having put the ship on autopilot. Suddenly, another figure enters the bay. 
It's Hiller, battered and bruised, but still standing, and he wants Ripley. He reasons that they can put Ripley into stasis, and that Wayland scientists will remove the xenomorph. Ripley and Newt will not be let go. Oh, Ripley and Newt will be let go, and the company gets what they want. Everybody wins. Newt calls bullshit, and Hiller, seeing that his bargaining tactics have failed, shoots her in the knee. He tells Ripley that she can comply, or he will kill Newt. Newt tells her not to do it, but Ripley puts her hands up and starts to walk towards Hiller, apparently surrendering. However, as she does, she begins to convulse. Close your eyes, baby, she turns to Newt and says before advancing forward. <laughs> Hiller's face turns to fear as she cottons onto what is happening, and he starts firing at Ripley. Undeterred, she moves forward, convulsing, breaking into a run. Hiller hits her in the abdomen with a pulse rifle fire, but she keeps on running. With her final ounce of strength, she grabs Hiller in an embrace. He screams as the Queen Burster rips through Ripley's ribcage into Hiller, tearing a hole through his back. The pair fall. Cool makes the pulse rifle and unloads a clip into the escaping chest burster, splattering it against the wall. Hiller's body is jettisoned into space. Ripley is put into stasis to be given a proper burial, and Cool helps Newt into her chamber. The documents they have obtained, as well as the dead chestburster, are enough to implicate Wayland Yutani. They begin their journey to Earth. Ooh, that was intense. Aliens, War and Peace. Yeah. yeah, that was, yeah. Uh, for, for the record, that was seven pages, when the average picture is about three and a half to four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a lot. So, there was a lot to like in there. There's an also an epic. nothing like that in ours. I don't really? Know. Ours, no, is, so ours is so different. Excellent. Okay. <coughs> so, uh, no, it's really interesting to see. Just think, just think, completely different. Okay. Should we, should we take it away? Matt, yeah. do you want to take, yeah. uh, take over and do our um, director stuff? Yeah. yeah. We're releasing this in 1993, seven years after Aliens. Our director, we're going with a new director. We're carrying on with the Aliens side. We're carrying on with the David, but not David Fincher. David motherfucking Cronenberg. Nice. Body nice. horror time, motherfuckers. Body horror yep. time, that's uh, not a t-shirt. Of, yeah, of Scanners and the Fly fame, it goes on to crash in existence and other things. Right, so we've got, a, for the people in the room, <laughs> we have little uh, crypt sheets to keep track of who the hell is who, because there are a lot of cast. For you at home, tough. Um, <laughs> we might sort you out, we don't know yet. Wink! Um, no, yeah, yeah. Buy our book with all the notes. Oh and yeah. yeah, and the interview with the actors who think. No, it's not going to be too far. Um, yes, yeah, so there might be some pictures on our Instagram things with like the cast saving so of that. Sure, why not? Okay, so uh, the role of Madison, played by Jodie Foster, who just finished Science of the Lambs, about to age. Uh, the role of Nathan is played by Tim Roth on Baseball Dogs. We should mention there's a lot of really big names. Now, mm. at the time, a lot of these were unknown. Yes. so we're not yeah. going to have you know, obvious things. So Tim yeah. Roth, Frozen Dogs, uh, Michelle Yeoh will be playing Siu. Um, she's just been on Play Story Three. She hadn't done at this point um, Bond film. She was in Tomorrow Never Dies, so she's not really known to Western audiences at this point. Uh, <laughs> to, to, to please Stuart Ash, and we put Bill Pullman in there. This is funny. <laughs> <laughs> as prior, my t-shirt. Yeah, the whole thing is basically just a speech from Bill Pullman. Um, as prior, um, he done uh, Spaceballs and Sleepers Out. He hadn't done Independence Day. Oh no, he's fine. Listening. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, yeah. This um, is before he has ruined his own timeline. Ruined his own street show. Uh, the role of B uh, of Blue Velvet in Jurassic Park is Laura Dern. Um, we have Reinhardt played by Gary Oldman. Oh, Gary Oldman. 
Um, again, Dracula, True Romance, hadn't done anything on at this point. Carrie Ann Moss as Jessica. Carrie Moss had done very little at this point. She's doing very small little bit parts, and she goes on to do uh, The Matrix, Red Planet, and all various bit pieces. Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Varen, um, who went on to do lots of TV and film stuff, P.S. I Love You and Watchmen and things like that. But at this point, again, very small little roles. If you find a picture of Jeffrey Dean Morgan in the 90s, it's kind of weird. He's like teen heartthrobby kind of guy. Yeah. It's crazy. He's a good looking older man now. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry, Jeff. Um, <laughs> it's just more the sense of like he would fit with the next guy, who's Connor, played by Brad Pitt. At this point, of Thelma and Louise and True Romance fame. So he's not nearly the Brad Pitt superstar that he becomes. He's just an attractive guy in films. And finally, Fiddick is played by Vanessa Williams, who was in New Jack City and Candyman at this point. DOP. Now, shockingly, again, we've had the opportunity to do a David Fincher film and bring in the Deke but we've gone so against ourselves here we've got David Cronenberg and we're bringing Stuart Dreiber or Stuart Dreiberg I should say who and the reason for this one people might who he's the guy that did most importantly for this at least The Piano which is a really dark film as far as the visuals are concerned it's really beautiful and The Painted Veil which is a film with Naomi Watts and Ed Norton and it's filmed all in like 19... 20s, 1910s, sort of China, and was it that? Anyway, and um, it, it's got it's beautiful landscape, jungle sort of stuff. So we thought that would be relevant for what we plan on doing. Yeah, interesting. And uh, the composer, because uh, as much as we've had interesting people involved in the entire Alien franchise, we're bringing back Jerry Motherfucking Goldsmith, because Jerry Goldsmith is my absolute favorite composer as far as films are concerned. Um, who did the original Alien? He did the Omen. He did Google Hunting and this time tons of things. And Jerry Goldsmith is. The boss. So yeah. So yes. if you're ready, then I shall begin. If you're yes. not ready, we'll begin anyway. The opening shot establishes the cold darkness of space. As we pan, the horizon of a nearby planet eclipses our view. <coughs> a deep rumbling sound is heard as a flaming object enters the frame. We cut back to reveal the planet in question, and the now tiny flame ball descending into its upper atmosphere. On board the vessel, the camera glides around, introducing us to the crew and their personalities. We learn that the JWY vessel is automatically piloted and the 10 crew members are colonists. The camera follows them preparing for landing, still groggy from deep space hibernation. Some keep to themselves, some joke about the experience. One is sick after eating the assigned rations, etc, etc. As the vessel lands in a clearing of the misty, leafy jungle terrain, the arriving colonists are met by an android. Connor jokes with Pryor, who has little experience with, in inverted commas, Charlie bots. Connor explains these androids are workhorses and don't need fancy skin, which is why they look like walking mannequins. As the group are led to the main facility, we learn through conversation that the colonising process is to gather a group of people to an assigned uninhabited planet based on their abilities and skills. Madison, an engineer, notes that the facility looks surprisingly big and outdated for a pop-up. As a welder, Varen agrees and wonders if the building was salvaged from another operation on a different planet. Within the facility, several Charlie androids scan and examine the colonists, sorting them into their manifest order. Whilst this is going on, Fiddick observes their reflection and laughs, noting that the assigned manifest sorts the groups into descending height order by gender. Nathan wants to know what's funny about it, but Fiddick loses confidence in her observation and dismisses it. With the inspection complete, the group pick up their assigned boiler suits and are told by Charlie that dinner will be served soon. The group mingle and bond. Prior, picking up on possible tension between Nathan and Fiddick, says they will be spending the rest of their lives together, so it would be good to have a brutally honest, clean start. He introduces himself fully and states that he is a political scientist. The room bursts into laughter over the pomposity and stupidity of bringing a politician along before the community has even been established. This ultimately lightens the mood. 
We're then introduced to Varen, Madison, Sue, and Electronic. We are then introduced to Varen, Madison, Sue, an electrician, Fiddock, a miner, B, who is a farmer, veterinarian Jessica, Reinhardt, a butcher, and Connor, who is a carpenter. Nathan, who has been quiet this whole time, remains abrasive. He puts an end to the lighthearted introductions by saying that he was a cop back on Earth. He goes on to voice his concerns about the whole mission. His assignment to the colony mission was mandatory after his wife died, and he didn't have a choice in the matter. This part's an interesting observation that the various abilities and job roles don't exactly align, and that none of the crew have living relatives. Fiddick dismisses this, saying that surely makes everyone prime candidates for a mission of this nature. At this point, Charlie comes in and explains that dinner is served. The group sits themselves down as Charlie brings over a stack of sealed trays. One is placed in front of everyone. Reinhardt jokes that the precision herding from room to room is like an abattoir. As he says this, a tray is placed in front of him, but observing the contents explains that he won't be eating it due to an allergy, one which made him throw up on, during the landing. Charlie pauses and repeats himself in a monotone voice. Reinhardt continues to explain that he can't eat it and it should have been listed on the profile. Connor, Jessica and B, who are already eating, tell Reinhardt to stop being fussy and just eat around him. Reinhardt jokes about this, but midway through his sentence, Charlie's hand grips his throat tightly. The entire room breaks into a panic as the android throttles the life out of the colonist. Connor gets out of his chair and tries to help, but suddenly collapses. Jessica and B are quick to collapse too. Varen and Fiddick try to stop Charlie, but Sue explains that the act is futile, commenting on the strength of the mechanoid. An almighty crack rings out as Reinhardt's neck is brutally snapped, and Charlie slowly raises his head, telling the group in a monotone voice, Dinner is served. <laughs> Madison, Pryor, Fiddick, Nathan, Sue and Varen clamber towards the door, though the various, uh, through the various corridors. As they turn a corner, another Charlie appears and drones, Dinner is served. Eventually, the group find an exit and escape into the surrounding wilderness. Back in the dining room, a group of Charlies remove Reinhardt's body and carry the other colonists away. In the jungle, the six remaining crew members argue about the robots going off protocol and where exactly they are going at such speed. They scream erratically at each other as the rain starts to pour down. Sue explains that something like this just can't happen, prompting Pryor to panic, walking backwards, tripping over vines while highlighting that this is one of the worst-case scenarios, stranded on an alien world with no chance of help, where the only living entities are out to kill them. Mid-rank, Pryor falls backwards into the thicket. The group rush into in... The group rush to the hole in the ground to see Pryor lying in a metallic box. Using vines to lower themselves down, the group investigate the small structure, wondering if it is in any, in any way linked to the facility. Varine highlights that the technology is ancient, easily hundreds of years old. Nathan doesn't understand how that is possible. They are the first humans to start to colonise this planet. Looking up, Fiddick agrees, noting the unit was completely concealed by overgrown vines. Amongst the foliage, Madison finds a cracked pod with a mummified body inside at which point Nathan realises this is some sort of vehicle and there could be tools or supplies that could be of some use. Vereen notes a dirty glass panel with what looks like a weapon on the other side. Tearing away another panel, Sue starts to pull at wires, trying to harness some power to open the hatch. As she succeeds, a series of lights blink on in the vessel and the hatch opens, revealing a pistol and a rifle. Behind the group, two pod doors rise. Pryor steps around, peering incautiously before relaying to the group, there are people here. <coughs> The group jumps somewhat as one of the humans in the pods leaps out and grabs Pryor, pushing him into an unlit section of the pod. From the darkness we hear a raspy voice call out, Who are you? Before a spluttering woman falls from the second pod. Madison steps over to help, but the voice calls out again, Easy, let's just stay where we are. Catching her breath and standing up, the woman mumbles, Hicks, where's Newt? Catching sight of the mummified body in the adjacent pod, Ripley wails hysterically while Hicks releases Pryor and tries to calm her. The group remain completely confused about the situation, but Madison cautiously approaches, explain that she doesn't know who they are, but everyone is in great danger. 
She goes on to explain the situation and that the android contingent had malfunctioned. Ripley suddenly remembers that Bishop was on board too, but looks over to see the bulkhead has buckled, crushing Bishop's remains. Higgs finally says that they need to get off the planet. Surprised by this, Felix says, There is no getting off the planet. Colonisation trips are one way. We just expect more colonists and supplies. Ripley asks how long until they can expect help, and Nathan solemnly says, Five years. Ripley starts laughing, joking that this has been the worst few weeks of her life, a statement which is lost on the group. After this, Ripley reluctantly agrees to help, and they grab the weapons and start to make their way out of the pod. Hicks holds Ripley back momentarily, noting the group can't be trusted, but admits they have little choice in the matter. Ripley highlights that a few days ago she didn't think she could trust him either. The two share a smile and exit the pod. Back in the facility, Stranglebot Charlie is being examined by other Charlie units and an unseen figure. They communicate to each other that he could not cope with any deviation in the plan. Watching a live feed from a boardroom, a group of men drone monotonously to each other. They discuss the disappointing harvest and the loss of the other livestock. After a calm debate, one of them explains that the others will not survive in the wilderness, and once they pass out from exhaustion, a unit of Charlies will be sent to retrieve them. As the conversation comes to a close, we discover that the three individuals are, in fact, all Bishop unit androids. Another reveal! Ripley and Hicks join the group as they return to the facility. The technology appears exceptionally advanced to Ripley, but um, reassures her that it's all still the same mechanics. Wires upon wires, corridors upon corridors. Infiltrating the compound, Sue comments that... Uh, how unusual it is that there are no alarms. Even for a build, budding colony, colony, these kind of fail-safes are standard. In a darkened room, Connor slowly blinks as he wakes. Looking around, he starts to panic, realising that he is strapped into a unit with a conveyor belt in front of him. In his peripherals, he just makes out Jessica and B, who are still, both still unconscious. Connor shouts to alert them, but to no avail. A series of lights come on and the conveyor belt whirs into life. Connor watches as a thick, skinned orb moves into position in front of him. He struggles to free himself as the egg hisses and opens. The contents slither and a tailed arachnid alien launches itself at his face. Sneaking through the compound, the group avoid a patrolling Charlie unit and whisper how they plan to cause an emergency which would warrant sending human help. From there, they would simply need to survive as long as possible or deactivate the androids until assistance comes. Separating from the group, Ripley's curiosity gets the better of her and she starts leaping through binders of information. In doing so, she learns that JWY grew out of the Wayland yutani when it was merged with the Jaeger Enterprises. Furious, she flings the files across the room. Nathan rushes in and scolds her for making so much noise. Tears in her eyes, Ripley says to Hicks, it's the goddamn company. Looking up at a map of the facility, Ripley tears it from the wall and stuffs it in her pocket. Across the hallway, a Charlie unit's eyes flicker. The Charlie's POV is registered to a computer, monitored by the Bishop units. The board realise the intruders have returned and are now armed. One of the Bishops states that the facility and the various android units won't hold up against a gunfight and recommends releasing the batch intended for LV-697. The group reluctantly agree, noting they can make up for the shortfall quickly enough, and type a command into a wall console. In a separate area, a mechanised door emits jets of smoke and slides open. After a moment of silence, three xenomorphs rush out to the, of the containment unit, racing through the corridors. One of the aliens crawls across the ceiling, observing a Charlie unit. The android turns slowly before cocking its head, feigning a bow and pleasantly saying, Good afternoon, sir. The alien ignores the android and rushes away into the shadows. As the camera slowly backs away, Charlie's voice echoes, Have a delightful day. <laughs> Stalking through a corridor, the group is surprised as a Charlie unit turns a corner, startling Vereen. The welder fires a round from the pistol which decimates the android's head. Cockily, Vereen starts to celebrate, mocking the deceased mechanical man. As the group carry on, Vereen grunts. Everyone turns to see their colleague being raised aloft, blood pouring from his mouth. All of a sudden, he is ripped in half, his innards splattering the corridor walls. Hissing, the alien's face emerges from the darkness. Terrified, Pryor shoots at the alien, quickly expending the rifle's ammunition. 
Ripley and Hicks immediately call for calm as the dying animal's acidic blood melts through Felix's face, but the group panic and split up. Remaining with the body, Hicks picks up the rifle before chucking it aside, furious that they are now without any means to defend themselves, before muttering, what I wouldn't give for a shotgun right now. Looking at the sizzling corpse, Ripley examines the body. She knows it's different from the other ones, more streamlined, and has a collar around its neck, like a pet. They hypothesise that as the colonists escape from the facility worried only about androids, these things must be kept separately intentioned. They hypothesise that as the colonists escape from the facility worried only about androids, these things must be kept separately intentionally, unlike LV-426. Madison and Pryor enter into a changing room full of lockers and communicate silently with hand gestures and wide-eyed stares. Hearing clattering in the ceiling above them, um, they both clamber into respective lockers. Through the grates, they watch as the xenomorph drops into the room and investigates before launching itself back through the open vent as Charlie enters the room. Tidying away the vent hatch, Charlie stops and heads towards Pryor's locker. The man freezes, trying to remain unseen. Charlie places the hatch down by the door before returning to the locker and sticking his hand through, mangling Pryor. Madison covers her mouth, stopping the scream from escaping. As Pryor's body is removed from the locker, the alien returns to the room, circling the Charlie unit. Tears running down her face, Madison quietly sinks down. The alien's face violently shreds the locker unit, causing Madison to scream. The xenomorph's secondary mouth perforates the face of the colonist as Charlie stops and comments, Dinner is served. Following another Charlie unit down a corridor, the camera stops to reveal Nathan and Sue hiding behind a heating unit. Sue begins quietly laughing to herself, which Nathan tries to snap her out of it. Hysterical, Sue explains that the heating unit they're squatting behind should be burning hot. Pulling at the panel, she reveals that it's effectively hollow because androids don't require heat to function. Nathan realises what she's saying and sighs that everything is for show. Sue confesses she doesn't want to die, and Nathan explains he doesn't plan on dying. The pair continue to execute the plan to signal for help, but are ambushed by an alien that toys with them, trapping them and letting them go before eventually eviscerating them both with its tail. Meanwhile, Hicks and Ripley, following the map, reach the command centre, which is locked down and doesn't seem to have an access panel they can use or understand. Referencing the map, Hicks notes that there could be an alternate way around through the roof. Ripley quietly helps Hicks up, but he freezes, seeing a xenomorph breathing and hissing at him. Looking at the collar flashing periodically, Hicks tells Ripley to back away. Not understanding, she grows concerned. Hicks, very cautiously, reaches for a section of wiring and pulls up a handful. The quivering beast hisses, its mouth opening slowly. Eyeing up the collar, Hicks lunges at the alien and sends an electric surge which detonates a charge within. The minor explosion kills both the animal and the marine, covering his remaining torso in acid. His entire upper half dissolves as Hitch Ripley watches in horror. The PA system activates and a familiar voice echoes throughout the corridors. Bishop explains this building is a factory for growing aliens. They clean out new worlds by releasing an apex predator which is outfitted with an explosive collar because it's cheaper than terraforming. The android assumes that the Sulaku's pod must have been the cause of the neatly formed plateau that they chose to build on. He goes on to mention that Ripley is barely a footnote in his archives, nothing more. Her heroics and survival are blips in galactic history, but if she surrenders to them, she will have a quick and painless death. Hearing this and falling into despair, Ripley hyperventilates, unsure if there are more aliens tracking her, and erratically goes from corridor to corridor, unarmed and alone. In the boardroom, the bishops argue about the deal offered to Ripley and any threat she may pose. It is eventually agreed that she will be used as a host for an egg if she isn't killed by the xenomorph first. Catching sight of a glowing light, Ripley summons some strength and peers into the large room. Inside, she sees Charlie unit tossing luggage into an incinerator. Ripley sneaks up behind the robot and pushes him into the flames. As the unit rises in the fire, Ripley looks through the remaining luggage, coming across Madison's notes and compares them to the facility map she took earlier. Muttering to herself, Ripley says she knows a power source when she sees one. 
Back in the boardroom, the bishops debate releasing more aliens and weighing up the potential losses. They decide the remaining Charlies in a single xenomorph should be more than enough for one human. From the supplies, Ripley cobbles together a nail gun and several flares before working her way to the reactor. En route, she easily defeats the Charlie bots. Passing a large chamber, she sees Connor, Jessica and B still strapped into their units. Their chests have exploded outwards and in front of them are cages housing three screeching infant aliens. The all too familiar sights only fuels her rage. Reaching the reactor, she follows Madison's instructions and locks down the room. From here, she starts running around and powers up the four units on each wall. Before reaching the fourth, the remaining alien lowers itself from the ceiling. Realising her munitions are all depleted, we are treated to a very tense scene of Ripley carefully manoeuvring around the room, avoiding the predator. A sudden bang from the door gives Ripley the opening she needs. The xenomorph rushes to the door and begins clawing at it. On the other side, the bishops have realised what Ripley is trying to do, and are trying and plan to stop her. Their voices muffled, we can hear them trying to talk her out of the effect of suicide. Utilising the distraction, Ripley runs to activate the final panel. Seeing this, the alien launches off a counter and clings to her back as she pulls the switch, setting off the reactor and dramatically destroying the planet. The epic explosion is undercut by a tiny beeping on a computer monitor. A man in a JWY jumpsuit turns to his superior and relays the destruction of the planet. The manager looks up from his computer but notes it's only one facility of many. The two men calmly muse that the reactor's probably malfunctioned and the manager issues a command to overhaul them, making them more secure. The man in the jumpsuit says this puts them a week behind schedule, to which the manager responds, it makes no difference. Cow noise? <laughs> that was my cow noise bull- appreciation. It's your bull alien noise. Bovine Stewart approves. <laughs> my only concern with that is I'll bet when you released at the cinema, some idiot at the company ruined the Ripley reveal in the trailer. Oh, we yeah. the trailer, yeah. We'd yeah. have to insist the tra- we'd have to market the trailer. Yeah. Because there'd be no way we could have a great twist to people watching. I know, yeah. I know they made some television level. Yeah. Yeah. Is the days for the proper internet? Yes. You see? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. see we can, we can, it could almost be one of those films that isn't an alien movie until people get yeah. in and realise yeah. yeah. that's kind of what we're holding on to Alien 3.0 and we don't even really want to show the aliens in the no. trailer possible no. to keep people yeah. thinking this is a robot movie ah yeah. shit they've got robots I mean, on it, our way to although that yeah. less people would see it so that yeah we were kind of we were hoping it'd be like a 90s much like the sort of like Sixth Sense mindset of like just Jeff see it yeah they think it's androids the last shot of the trailer is the egg yeah something like that no xenomorphs just an egg yeah yeah. The Connor and Egg scene is the final scene. That keeps the production company yeah. happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's they like, don't yeah. spoil it by having Ripley turn up in the middle of the fucking yeah. one man. The end of the trailer, if the executives have the way of it, is her coming out of the space. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we wouldn't do that. We, no, would, I, we would control marketing. Did I miss something there, though? What, what happens to Newt? That's what I, I, yeah, I missed. She's that. the mummified body. There are two reasons for this. One reason is because we would love to bring Newt back, because as we all mentioned earlier, she's a key component and a great actress and a great role. But we're setting this in 1993, She's and we're doing out the stasis pod. We can't stop an actor aging, yeah. and we don't want to recast because you'd have to look exactly the same. So technically, we thought, do we do this much like you guys did in situ after the pod already, or what do we do? So we thought, no, we have to kind of kill her off, or we want to keep Hicks and things. We, 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 we actually played with the idea about Bishop being alive as well and having him like, overthrow the other things. We thought, no, he's in a such fucked up state; he's dragging around and like. Like C three PO and Empire Strikes yeah. Back. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's such an image. So uh, the, when Chewbacca the pod crash, effectively, obviously, you know, crumples in and kills Bishop, and her pod cracks open, so she just ages normally. So, oh yeah, got me. Um, yeah, this means I've misremembered the end of Aliens. I thought that uh, 
Newt and... In the same part? Yeah, they're not at all. No, 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 they're not. I don't think so. That's entirely they're right. In, they have that shot that makes it look like they oh, are, they're next to each other. Because yeah. Newt is in the foreground. Oh, yeah. Yes. Invitation. Yeah. Did they take the cat with them in there? No. No, no. 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 they didn't. Jones, you little bastard, you stay here. Yeah. Or yeah. oh, you little shithead, I think it is. Yeah. 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 Jones is the one that lives. Yeah. 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 He, he lives a really full life as a cat. He does. <laughs> That's our sequel. <laughs> oh, that would be so good. What's it called? Alien 3.0. What's it about? Jones the cat. It's like, what? what? <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. Basically, it's, like, it's basically like Garfield, but it's, it's an existential drama set on the space station. Jones hates Mondays. <laughs> He's 50 years behind, and all the cat oh, people don't like in the fashion. Love, so love much lasagna. lasagna. Yeah. Another t shirt. Jones hates oh, Mondays. <laughs> Ease. What um, was interesting was I. I mean, I had a very, very unfleshed out idea for what I was going to uh, pitch for all these reasons. Because um, is this like a bit of a Are you doing an Independence Day? No, no, I'm afraid not. I don't have. We just did it with Jones the and cat. That wasn't very good. No, um, this is, I only had Hicks and Ripley survive. Mm. It was interesting, and also Cogni of Androids. Yeah, um, because in mind they were going to be on a world with a poisonous atmosphere, so they were the only ones that could do it. And oh, that's quite cool. On it, blah blah blah. And I was going to go with another David for directing. Oh, uh, that's the thing. Yeah, you'll get it. David Lean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not quite. Yes, Lynch. Yeah. I was yeah, going to have David Lynch. Lynch. And basically, they discover some of the old space jockey star stuff, and it's also the fact that the um, artificial humans have been around each other for so long, they've all gone fucking weird. Mm. And then they find the aids of that, which I suppose very strange. But I don't know how, because I didn't think yeah. about it. That's the impression we got with yours now. That's <laughs> oh, shit. So oh, the winner of the season yeah. is Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's still Jones He's the Cat. The real winner is Jones the Cat. Mm. Yeah. Excellent pitches on both parts. I enjoyed both of you in completely different ways. Not even the pitches, <laughs> both of us. As <laughs> <laughs> people. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy, 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 enjoy all four of you as people and as movie pitches. Okay, so I'll start with Giga's Nightmare. Okay. AKA Street Shark. Oh, yeah, that's us. I'm here, Street Shark. So what the fuck is going on? Colon, that's us. Colon Street Shark. Yeah, that's us. Yeah. Um, and the main kind of question I have is. There's a very, very slow build to the aliens, and I know that's... By aliens, I mean xenomorphs, obviously. Sure. Um, as we kind of touched upon, that does worry me from a keeping the audience invested kind of thing. Like, they go in expecting an alien movie and they don't get an alien uh, movie. In my opinion, if you walk out of an movie halfway think... through, fuck you. So... <laughs> And I think also we... Oh, I agree. We, the we, worst people in the world we, leave cinema. But then I would also say that it's probably the same for Aliens and Alien. Yeah, you don't get to see a yeah. great deal of it. Yeah. Also, I think what we would try and do with this, which we were talking about in the break, was with the marketing of this, we would kind of... Tease what's there. Yeah, tease what's there. Tease that it is an Alien film, but also try and obfuscate that as well. Like, it would be more... It, you know, that people would go in almost expecting... Um, sort of the Android stuff to be foregrounded and know that know that there was some kind of link. I mean, almost kind of. I hate to use Prometheus as an example for anything good, but almost kind of what they did with Prometheus, where they kind of you kind of went in knowing yeah, that you there was a science fiction, hoping or knowing that there was some kind of link to the Alien franchise, but where's it's going to be? And there isn't. Really. And there, I know there isn't. Obviously, now there would be. Um, and and it's kind a bad of example. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you, you <laughs> I know you mean. You know what I mean with the marketing. So, so that's kind of how I, I feel what we would deal with that. And, okay. and again, I, it's the Millennium Falcon at the end of the Force Awakens trailer. Yeah, yeah. 
some people go, this is all cool, this is all cool. Shit, yes! I'm yeah. in! I'm in! Yeah, that, that's what we're in. We yeah. don't want Ripley stepping out. No, we want, no, we want we the want, X. We're yeah. home. We want, yeah. no, we want, <laughs> we just want, we just want, the, we just want to set it up as a really good day. fucked. We, we always want, <laughs> we always want the trailer, but we, we would insist, <laughs> we would insist. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying to sequelize here. I know what you guys fuckers are doing. Um, silly voices. Silly voices, <laughs> fucking clearly. Um, go ahead, Tom. No, um, no, we would, Control, ideally control the marketing in such a way that it, the trailer almost builds it up to be like, wow, this looks like a really, really interesting kind of sci-fi film. And then pull the rug, pull the rug right at the it's end with yeah, the, the just a shot of one of the eggs and oh, which the then title. you get the use of yeah, the really all beautiful black um, yeah. screen, the lines coming up. Yeah. Saying, what's, this, what's the spelling? Alien, yeah. Jesus Christ! Oh God, what? This is this yeah. is so different. The day before that's... the huge Hall H Comic Con stuff, we're doing it for cinema, yeah. and it's pre-internet, so you don't get that. Yep. Like as you click on the YouTube link, it doesn't say trailer Alien Three Point Oh. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be just like... Guess who's back? It's just, yeah. you're in the it's cinema, just you're in a, trailer. a trailer just happened, yeah. and then, oh, yeah. fuck, that's an alien. And then that would, the idea being, that would hopefully, <laughs> you know, get people into the seats, and then that would then allow, enable us to do that massive reveal of, like, the one-hour point of, oh, shit, Ripley. And obviously we would try and do the thing where, like, Matt was just saying before. That we also separate them as well for the marketing purposes as well, because then, effectively speaking, you can show tons of them running around, you know, hiding robots and all kinds of things without showing any of Ripley and Hicks. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we would... Do the thing potentially of trying to look like with Kevin Spacey in Seven, where he was removed, oh, yes. removed his name from the poster and stuff, and removed their names from the poster, and try and and you know have you know to the point that we would probably have them along at the premiere, but it would be oh well of course they're at the premiere because they're the sequel, because they're, yeah. because the sequel of the film, and they'd be like surprise motherfuckers, we're in the film. And then Sigourney Weaver standing up for like an hour and ten minutes, and like surprise <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of our, our crazy plan. She bursts up in fact. <laughs> yeah, she, oh, she bursts out. <laughs> David Cronenberg's chest. <laughs> that was this being not unlike the Terminator 2 ride at Universal, where they are just plants in the audience at every screening yeah. and then take part in the movie. Yeah. They, they then just run into the screen. No, I love that stuff. Yeah, that's, that's how it would be. Bring back to Black and Jaws again. Like, so we've gone full circle now. Audience full participants. Yeah, Alex uh, bringing it back to film related theme right. park rides. Yeah. <laughs> so, any other questions? Um, one thing was you had a hell of a lot of they weren't like you said they weren't names at the time but there's a big cast mm-hmm. and Gary Oldman dies in like five minutes which yep. kind of terrifies me because I see I love Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman and it was a personal choice I think on our part but put in things that audience would go it's the holy shit it's Henry Fonda Henry Fonda moment from Once Upon a Time in the West you go People, oh, I know that guy. He's uh, he's in Dracula and shit. He's really cool. He should be. Oh fuck, he's dead. Oh god, it's kicking off. Yeah. Why is that one who I know he is alive? Without so. without spoiling anything, they do they know the films in the recent franchise? They have a big cast and they kill off surprising people. They do that in every film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they have a big cast and they kill off surprising well, they, people. John Hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. So that and that would be our thoughts. I mean, um, it, had, it does go badly sometimes. Oh yeah, you do have the moment of. Why is Brian Cranston dead in this Godzilla film? Oh, yeah. 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 And I know there's all that, but, and we hope there'll be enough there to compensate for that sort of yeah. missing. Um, I guess the thing I'd add to that is that there are an awful lot of people, though. Do you mm-hmm. think everybody is going to get in enough Screen time, time to, to be a character? I think we have to... enough from the start. But I, I would always bring it back to Aliens as a good example. Alien has a very concise... How many, how many people are there? Six, seven people in the crew? Aliens has a huge unit of people, and yeah, there's always the one or two forgettable people in the unit. 
but you still can sort of say that's this one, that's that one, because they're sort of archetypes. archetypes enough. Yeah, exactly. I think we, we obviously we obviously enough synopsis. We, are going and to also, I think with the, the colony story, we need that that first setup needs to feel. It's not going to feel real if there's like four characters because it's just wouldn't. There's a big group of people as it is. We're yeah. just focusing on like essentially we're focusing on one abattoir room of the mm. the ship. So you would see in the background there would be like you know this colony ship might have had like a thousand people and we're focusing on like a room that has like twenty five and then that we're only focusing on like maybe like eight key characters or something like that. Yeah. So um, that that's the that's that was the idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's right. Fair enough. And. For the amount of androids mm. in 1993, what kind of effects? Oh, we're just what we about the Charlie Bot thing. They're literally, um, have you played Alien Isolation? I have that kind of thing. Yeah. But really, sort of like, oh yeah, no, 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 I'm skin saying, off. how are you doing it? Oh, we'll press that. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. yeah, there's never a point where there's so many. I don't think there's that we would really we would any need CGI to... in the. F- no, really? there, there fair was... enough. Do you mean more than multiple bishops? Uh, that can no, be done. Yeah, sorry, they are literally yeah. just like uh, again, yeah, like, and prosthetics. So. Yeah, 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 just yeah. masks basically. Masks to... and um, different act- similar actors, and, and we we don't have any. I don't believe there's any scene where there's like more than like where we'd have to like do digital replicas. It'd never be too right. bad. I mean, even with the, the no, bishops, and, the bishops that's no, and, and that's easy enough for motion control, even for three people. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking like Jurassic Park is around that sort of time, and that's when CGI kind of see. This is the thing we were we were hoping this was one of the last bastions of decent practical effect, and this gets Cronenberg. I don't think he'd be True. pushing. That's no, one of the reasons why we went for Cronenberg because he's solid horror, practical effects. Man does amazing stuff. So yeah. that was our yeah. reasoning. Fair enough. I would like to see that visually. I think it would be a treat. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of yeah. Well, that was a chef excellent hand. As an action reference, that for Unfortunately, you're never going to see that. We're going to get more Ridley Scott films. Yeah. About Jesus. Prometheus three. Jesus comes back. Prometheus. Again. Where Prometheus, Prometheus has to fight the Atheist. Prometheus comes too fast, too Prometheus. Um, <laughs> so, Prometheus Tokyo Drift. That's, that's the third that's one. That's true. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Tokyo Drift. Do you not know your yeah. Fast and Furious? No, clearly not. Clearly it's not. the greatest franchise of all time. I know. We've had a uh, no. Another, <laughs> another story. Yeah. Any other? Oh. Any, um, other, any other questions? That is everything for you, guys. Oh, one minor thing. Oh. Um, Sorry, I was going to say bloody forgot due to stupidity. Uh-huh. Um, Ripley seems to get over new to death quite quickly. That was the problem. We, we, we In this thing, we obviously we skipped over it again because there's a brief paragraph, but it is a case that there'll be lots of mourning for long no! moments and wailing. Do not restrain another anger. Yeah, so it, it, I mean, I would, we would want to have like, I think, I think initially there was a scene in there where she's still worked up about it, but I think what we probably end up doing is when she's going mental in the corridors, thinking, ah, oh, everything is fucked, this has been the worst month of my life, and I'm alone and unarmed, we'd have lots of flashlights, like in Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just like, just like, I can't, I can't, people keep dying around me, why am I always the lone survivor? Yeah, I can't that kind of thing. Right but you're right, it is, it is, because they have to, the urgency yeah, takes you, over. Yeah. The adrenaline story in reality. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. Back over to chicken shit outfit. It rhymes. I like that. CSO. Thought CSO. Sounds like a burger. It does. That I would not order. If it's got yeah, shit in it. Chicken <laughs> shit burger, eh? Mm. I will not take the chicken it chicken order. I'm good. Can I have it without the chicken because I'm vegetarian? <laughs> just the shit just, order. Just, just, just a shit food burger, burger please. Yeah. <laughs> There's that cheap version of KFC called SFC, isn't there? 
shit fried chicken. <laughs> exactly. It's probably was southern fried chicken. I suppose supposed to. Whenever I see it, I think it's DFC. DFC. Denver's fried chicken. Is that like delicious? Delicious. Oh, not Denver. Delicious fried chicken. On Prince of Wales Road here in Norwich. Hey, near Piccolo's. Sponsorship. Sponsorship, please. DFC. Whenever I see SFC, I always think Scottish funding council. It's like some sort of government provider chicken. I'm sure SFC some sort of football club. Uh, over to the sports, Tom Mine. He's up with the weather. Sports is good. Full no, stop. it's not. It's, it's not. Quite no. like sport. I like no, you no, you don't. He <laughs> likes chasing people around the woods. Wait, Sometimes you like, like sports. It's the most dangerous game. Yeah, it's the Olympics, man. Doesn't count. I misheard that as I was in the fucking Olympics. <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> I like sports. I was in the fucking fucking silver and Rio, you cunt. Oh, that escalated quickly. Silver and Rio. The Alec Plowman storm. Silver and Rio hiding in the Paralympics. Silver and Rio, one man's plan to steal someone else's Olympic medal. It'd be like the Hat and Garden Gang, but for Olympic medals. It sounds younger. to me like a sequel. Like. Yeah. <laughs> a sequel to nothing. <laughs> an original idea, then, in that regard. Just yeah. do a, a season of just original ideas. Original <laughs> movies, <laughs> actually. What, here's here's like. shit we came up with. Yes, yeah. it's, uh, that's that's what we do it's in die between the camera and the <laughs> mic rolling. Yeah. Three out of four of you are filmmakers. Mm, that's and, like you've and then Alex stuff. sings the theme tune. Yeah, I do a bit. Yeah. Likes the theme tune, sings the theme tune. You're in Ashen's video songs? Hello. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> anyway. Sorry, guys. So, over to Chicken Shit Outfit. Yeah. Um, much of a similar sort of vein of the androids for them, the amount of aliens you have yeah, in the year 2000. Know. That scene, guys. Kind of, yeah, what kind hundreds of, of at one point, I think. What kind of effects are you going for? Um, Wizardry. Well, <laughs> I think in part, I think I would point at Aliens, which was a film that managed to convincingly portray that uh, there were hundreds of yeah. aliens in the film while never showing any more than six on screen at any one time. So clever cinematography mindset. Yeah. Okay. And I think it has to be because, as you said, CG. You've also got flying aliens. Flying aliens, I think that your CG is at a point where you could hybridise it with... Actual birds. Yes. <laughs> but you, you could hybrid you could hybridise that with... with, um, with I think it's feasible. Yeah. Because I, and I've, I've seen... Again, 2000s where you've got some really impressive stuff and some really ropey shit. I mean, again, if you take the David Fincher for a moment uh, in Fight Club, there's tons of CGI on there. Yes. It still looks really, really good. Well, but you wouldn't know it's CGI. I'd also r- remind yes. people that you are oh, true. Um, a year off Lord of the Rings. Yes. So it's yeah. not that far yeah. away. That's You're the... a year off Lord of the Rings and you've just had The Phantom Menace. Yeah. yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. Think, that, yeah. that kind of thing is feasible. I think it depends entirely on how much it's and, used. And, yeah, and the yeah. budget as well. Yeah, but this is an alien movie. Yeah, yeah. So it's, at this budget, point, it's going to happen. You're looking at a minimum hundred million and dollar a Jim Cameron movie. One of that. Yeah. yeah, and he knows how. Jim, he, knows Jim Cameron, pushes, he pushes the technology. A Jim Cameron one post Titanic at that yeah. as well. Yeah. At a time when Jim Cameron's yeah. going to get. And this, this is the man who, let's not forget, as much as his recent falls. You know, the bit in Aliens where the facehugger is running through the rain and then he in, in the medical or the, the sprinkler. And they just drag it backwards, and he's just such a consummate filmmaker. He's like, no, no, that's going to work, and then reverse the film, and it looks brilliant, even though the rain 
it's going the wrong way you yeah. can't tell because it's bounced off the floor so I, yeah. man's a genius I also Girl think give him we, that. we deliberately put like amazing effects people working on this and amazing practical people because I think that oh I have I have one problem and this is my own but not over but this is my biggest problem with your film and it's such a weird petty dumb shit thing to say but in your opening bit you explain about all the different people you're involved in the film and every time we pitch something I'm always banging on about it must be the same way that Tom loves his DPs. I uh, love composers. James motherfucking Horner. I know he's dead. You know he's speaking of the dead. But the man's a fucking hack. Because... <laughs> Don't speak of the dead. Because he's a fucking hack. <coughs> yeah. I don't know right. anything about this, so I'm just going to nod. No, James Horner's produced some really interesting things. He, what he did with, uh, like, for example, uh, Animate the Gates, and what he did with... Um, uh, Arguably, uh, Titanic's very interesting with whistles and stuff like that, like the floats and things. But he, re- <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! But he rehashes and um, reworks so many of his themes, and they become really homogenized that um, I just can't. I mean, for example, again, the Avatar stuff sounds like every other score he's ever done. I, you could say that, sure, but I think that the reason he's there is because mm. he had the Aliens gig. Yeah. yeah, and the aliens gig, I would argue, is a great theme. And even if he is, it's one of my favourite movie mm. themes. And even if he is just rehashing a lot of that, I think it's entirely appropriate for the movie. Okay, I mean there were there were other choices because I mean I love I think Elliot uh, Goldenthal's music on Alien Three is great. I yeah. think he does a phenomenal score. Yeah, again, this is more like a personal opinion yeah. about about one person because I, I agree with you. you keep building what yeah. he's already Man's done. Man's got some big beef with Hall. I really do. Yeah, but I, I rap back I history with based it purely on on the Aliens thing. Well, yeah, you think we've got something before. Yeah, yeah. No, I, get, I get that. And I wanted there to be that continuity because I think this is a sort of a sequel <clears> to. It's not the third Alien film. I see this as a sequel to Aliens. Aliens that then rounds out that aliens thing yeah. that is done by the end of this No, movie. I get that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah. that's just more personal rights. Well, paves, <laughs> paves the way for different alien films. I think that was also a deliberate thing because Alien as a franchise, you kind of accept that it's not going to end yeah. because there's too yeah. much mileage in monetary terms. Mm. So to leave it at a place where you give somebody a jumping off point <clears throat> but with different cast of characters. That's also why Hicks is written out but isn't killed off. Now, in part, that's because I felt really bad for Michael Bean when watching the documentary <laughs> about how put out he was about not being in Alien 3. And I'm like, I can't... Because he was going to like get killed off. Um, but I'm like, he can't... Given how much he wanted to do that movie, I can't mm. bring it in myself to fictionally write him out of... I don't think you sit in a sweat. That's how much page. love we have yeah. for Michael Bean on this show, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, Michael Bean. Michael, if you're listening, we love you. He's our official mascot. Yeah, the Bean. He's great. So. Could he be in a live action version of Street Sharks? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Why not? Are we doing a live action? Everything else has been live action. Why not? It's like a side project. I don't remember any of the Street Sharks names. What kind of Street Shark are you? The best kind, the original kind. OG. OG Street Sharks. OG Street Sharks. You're older than the Street Sharks. I am older than Street Sharks. I was I was turtled out with turtles. I didn't care about biking mice and I didn't care about the strange Street Sharks. But the Street Sharks that Tom and I are. You had your anthropomorphic fill. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I, again, like, that was the, again personal <laughs> rant about James Horner there. But that's all. I, I completely get your reasoning. Just piss on that man. <laughs>
Next I'll, week, I'll the estate of James Horner versus Matthew Stockton. <laughs> Bring it on, motherfuckers. I was hoping the tone that controls the aliens would be my heart would go on. <laughs> I was just controlling so the I, I, I was hoping for. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> A frontend melody. Yeah. They can only be controlled by talk box. <laughs> There's a Frampton joke for you. Wayland Utani Frampton. <laughs> oh! Oh, You'd have gone for that. With YWF. Yeah. We should have done. We should have done. If Stuart had any involvement in that pitch, you <laughs> I'm sorry, I just I had to get this out of my system. I'm glad. But I, I'm totally holding this one in reserve. Like a chess burst. The next time you do not get to overrule my Starship Troopers <laughs> stroke Independence Day, now that we've had an Aliens pitch quite substantially based on an unmade cartoon series made to sell action figures. Yeah, that is, that is true. <laughs> Twist. <laughs> Twist ending. I did, I did get the action figures in there. Yeah, we know. We know. We know. We just haven't mentioned it because we know. <laughs> we know. You named all, all the different types we of aliens. The hawk, the hawk alien isn't an action figure. I should call that. That's uh, now a real What? If you make this movie, yeah. that's not an action figure. I thought there'd be. There is a flying. I can literally yeah. see yeah. the yeah. advert where there's a big sort of sunburned yeah. backdrop yeah. and then yeah. yeah. it comes in. It was just flying alien. It's flying it. alien queen, and that's why we um, couldn't use it because it was a queen. We don't have an alien queen. No, I was a bit disappointed we didn't have the guy who dresses up as an alien. No, Atax was painfully with his. What do they call it? His alien? Oh, Atax. Yeah, but yeah, what's he um, with his bug disguise or something yeah, stupid? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember all his members <laughs> flooding back now. Cyber Bishop with his blast off arms. <laughs> and, um, and O'Malley the Irish Marine. Oh, yes. God. Oh, my goodness. It's yeah. all coming back like Total Recall now. Mm. Oh. I should have brought him along, really, shouldn't I? You no. should have done. <laughs> acted it out with you. <laughs> that would be the 16 hour director's cut of sequelizers um, we call it the working print yeah, well, I'll I'm take glad this is the last episode so that's an excuse to have it longer oh, oh yeah season, like, season, epic season finale yeah. Yeah. so Jack what's it going to be who's it going to be yeah. When's it going to be? Where's it going to be? Why is it going to be? Hey! <laughs> Opa! No, See you next looks. season, motherfuckers! Jetpacks initiate! It <laughs> was always meant to fly! Sequelizers, we were always meant to fly! That's a good one. Want to quote Stuart? No, we weren't! We were 40 we're fucking tons! we <laughs> never done it before! Oh, wow. Jack, who is it to be? It's a tough decision. I like both. Um, I like what you guys and Chicken, well, Alec, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if I should let Stuart take the blame or take the pride for this one. <laughs> no, <laughs> All 15 no. pages of Alec's. Mine is Forgotten script. Lynch. Um, I, I, I like the elements you did take from Alien 3. You have the, the chest bursting scene at the end and you managed to use that to kill Killer. That was kind of an like Alien Resurrection. Yeah, that actually burst, came from Resurrection. And then, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, one of, the, one of the few good bits about Resurrection. There's some yeah, good bits in Resurrection. Yeah, there are. We, we, yeah. The, the, the aliens melting through the cages. Yes, yeah, I recognise that actually. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah lots of cool. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I liked you guys and your kind of stuff, to, you guys being the Street Sharks, aka Giga's Nightmare, colon yeah. Street Sharks. <laughs> um, I liked you guys went a little bit different, a little bit more subtle with your kind of, like you said, slow build to the aliens and mm. things like that. Um, a little bit more subtle than flying aliens. 
Action figures, it might not be an alien movie. <laughs> <laughs> All the action figures, probably none. Um, yeah. 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 You might get some Android. We'd probably get something. Some, like, hey kids, you want to play with this? Stanglebot with Stanglebot. <laughs> Strangle Stangle your friends with this mask. <laughs> Stranglebot with hand crushing action. <laughs> Mummified note. <laughs> Doubles as beef jerky. <laughs> Actually, is it beef is jerky. beef jerky. <laughs> in a pack. Literally is beef jerky oh. in a stasis box. Um, and for the title of winners of season one of sequelizers. Street Oh! Yes! <laughs> well done, gentlemen. Yes! i a high five going on. Uh, congratulations, guys. Congratulations and commiserations. It's been a, it sounds silly, but an eight-episode uh, eight season, neck and neck until the last minute. And I didn't make that no, up apart no, from no. the tie in the last episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have genuinely picked my favourite ones no, that's around. And, then, uh, and again, I still like every pitch we've had. I can't I can't stop laughing at the concept of a child fucking a toy stasis box. <laughs> <laughs> jerky and Anything else? Can we have like Aunt Baru and Uncle? <laughs> Every every single future sequelizer's pitch is going to have to have someone who's mummified or dead, <laughs> so we can have a case of just, obligatory wow. beef jerky action. Yeah. yeah, the sequel to the yeah. Mummy, uh, the Mummy Returns, will have a lot of beef jerky time. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Congratulations, thank, thank you, Street Sharks, aka Eagle's Nightmare, aka Sea Sharks. And don't name more, Jesus no, Christ! Exactly. Just we'll, variations. We, 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 yeah, we'll have to draw a line. Now. Yeah, no, that is a next line. season will be something entirely we will different. Have, we'll go away. We will we'll retire the street sharks. The street sharks will go back to the street shop. We layer, we surf them to victory, and yeah, now, now we, we, we must ride a new tide. I kind of wanted to wait until Jack to talk to us up first to say, "So, what's your team name?" Was it Street Sharks? No. Just to see what you could. <laughs> I would have flipped the table, but next I couldn't. Season. I couldn't do that. So next season, season two. Yeah, yeah. 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 we we no, no. so behind. But we've also copyrighted them. You've got to be biker mice from Mars. <laughs> oh, really obscure samurai pizza cats. Oh, but oh, samurai pizza cats are good. We could be meat marks. What? Oh, I see. Oh, I see. I thought it was another line yeah. of things. So did I. I would have so, bought it. There's those things around. Congratulations, Straight Sharks. Cool. And uh, we will wipe the slate clean after season one for season yeah. two, so it'll be a fresh start for both of you teams going forward. Um, we are planning to have a mid-season episode, mm. kind of discuss things, get some feedback from the we, listeners. We do uh, thumb wars. Uh, thumb wars <laughs> you with, with the little lightsabers. As yeah. Well. yeah, so it's just you. Yeah, but it's, sound, it's nothing but sound. Effect. Followed by someone saying, "God damn it!" Yeah, and we'll be sequelizing one of our friends whose son is disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully Hang on. The Real life right? sequelizers. Alex didn't want kids, right? Yeah. 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 But no sons. No sons. Yeah. And he can't really sequelize twins. twins. Yeah, all at the same time. Shit. Well, actually, one case. Why does he sequelize the other? Alec wins again. Sorry, keep going back. So, yeah, we're going to come back for season two. In between the seasons, we will have an episode. Discussing your feedback, so you can send us an email, sequelizers at gmail.com is the place to go to send us your pitches. If you disagree with me on any of my decisions, if you think the variations upon nothing, chicken shit outfit and the various other names they've had should have won instead, let me know and we'll discuss it 
before we start season two. Mm. Get it out of your system. Yeah. And don't forget to go to sequelizers.com, just because I'm really pleased with where it's on there. It does look very, very nice. <laughs> we're all very proud. We're all yeah, very proud. We're all very proud. We're very proud of the things that Stuart did, and we all just sat there and went, oh, it was good, yeah. And throw some money in. Jack, where can they find you online? That was a weird... <laughs> <laughs> they can find me. I'm JLW Chambers on basically everything. Um, I'm like Ashens, and I have one name for everything. I'm just not famous. Um, oh, I know. He should be. Not really. No. no um, I shouldn't be. Okay. We'll meet Aww. in the middle something. <laughs> um, Matt, how about you? How do people find you on the internet? Uh, you can go to Twitter and type in S T O G H Z, which spells Stogs, and you will find me ranting about uh, the bullshit. Uh, you can also go to theredrighthand.co.uk, read my Alien Covenant review, read my Prometheus review, and think, the fuck are you talking about? Um, yeah. Or you can go to cheeseman.com and see some stuff, what I make for visuals and films and things. Tom, where can people find you? Oh, I like this. <laughs> well, you served. Well, like, uh, if you want to find, hunt me down on the internet, uh, the best way to do so is via my production company. We make lots of uh, commercial films and other exciting things in collaboration with lots of interesting people. So if you go on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, you can find us at Made by Forward. And if you want to visit our rather spangly website, it is weareforward.uk. Stuart, where can we find you on the internet? Well... I'm glad you asked, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at Ashens. A-S-H-E-N-S. That's all you need. Just put that in. And you'll find a well of joy. And if you click on the ads, if you actually click on my link, probably not. Is that the ring? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little child inside. It's like, oh dear. Before you die, you see... Stuart. Stuart. On sofa. <laughs> Alec, Hello. where can we find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter, Alec underscore Plowman. Uh, you can go to alecplowman.com, which is my website. And uh, I'm also in the band Monster City, so go to monstercityband.com to find out all about that. Cool. Mm. That's a wrap on season one. Yep. You can find us at Sequelizers on Twitter, Sequelizers on Instagram, Facebook, Sequelizers.com, as beautifully designed by Mr. Stuart Ashen. It has moving smoke and stuff. It's, mm. it's rather impressive. And, I saw uh, it scratched on a toilet door once. I think we were there as well. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. <laughs> and we'll be back for a mid-season episode and mm. then season two. But be prepared for us to say, fuck you, every time you pitch something, guys. Because we have a really hard time just having a, you know, a two-team situation and you know trying to find a winner there without everyone saying, you know what would be better? This. I'm like, you know, fuck. Can I have my own team or come on? No. no. On that note... See you later. See you in season two. Bye, one. Bye. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. <laughs> to be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.